Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. You know, I'm excited about where we are. Here we are entering the third month of the year already. Wow, this year is flying by fast. Well, I trust you are having a great time that you're, you know, I got an email this week that started out, Dan, I trust this finds you in good health and perfect peace. I wrote back, I said, any email to me that starts with that as the opening is going to get read and responded to. I trust this finds you in good health and perfect peace. Well, got a note this week from somebody who says, Dan, I'm an introvert. And essentially the question is, can I be successful? Well, I want to remind you, you'll be most successful when you're true to yourself, not when you're trying to be something you're not. Now, Steve Wozniak, you remember that name, Computer World, said, most inventors and engineers I've met are like me. They're shy. They live in their heads. The very best of them are artists, and artists work best alone. So we're going to talk about how you can be most effective in sharing your art while staying true to who you are. So here's some of the questions we're looking at. What else can I do to feel confident that I'm attacking the right job that's next for me? Somebody says, I've often jokingly referred to myself as serial hobby jumper. I haven't been in love with any one thing long enough to develop clarity on how to make it work. Dan, what are some ways I can reassure myself that I'm on the right path? And then this one, you know, I'm an introvert who's able to get out there and meet people, do book signings, et cetera, but it exhausts me emotionally and physically. How do I find balance in having to do that? We're going to look at the half-twos in being successful. Our quotation comes from a book written about introverts, Susan Cain. Her book, Quiet, is the greatest resource If you're an introvert and want to see how to thrive, that's the book I recommend, Quiet. One of the quotations from there says, the secret to life is to put yourself in the right lighting. For some, it's a Broadway spotlight. For others, a lamp-lit desk. I love that and how it validates being true to ourselves and who we are. All right, a resource. I'm going to continue telling you about these Events we've got coming up. Got one coming up in Keller, Texas. You're right in the early part of March. If you're listening to this before that, you can check that out. Go to 48dayseagles.com slash experience. These are going to be where we meet up with other people who are on the right path. I love, I'm getting some advanced notes from people who are going to be at these events about their anticipation and what we're going to accomplish there. I'll tell you a little bit more as we go through even some of the questions today here. But check out 48dayseagles.com slash experience experience for that. If you got a question, you know you can submit it here. We're always taking real life questions. Got some great ones today as always. This comes from Britton who says, Dan, I appreciate your work and ministry. You've inspired my heart to seek work that I will love doing it for God's glory. I'm more than halfway through 48 days in the steps. I'm signed up for your Keller, Texas visit. Even invited a close friend to attend with me. Needless to say, I'm I brought in on discovering my right path, but it's still not clear what would be my next best job. I've been at the same job 
since college, it's hard to feel really ready to start zinging our introduction letters out as I've not solidified between sales, recruiting, or HR. It says there's just too much out there. I've been working in a highly regarded management consulting role for over six years. Now I'm working remotely with flexible hours required. I don't hate it, but I don't think it is it for me. My wife has given me real support and balance as she reminds me it's been such a blessing for me to be home enjoying our two young kids, two and four years old. I'm ready to be a heat-seeking missile, but want to make sure I'm on the right target. What else should I do to feel confident I'm on the right path when I'm seeking the next job? Currently, I'm setting up many calls with people that are either working or in around the areas I'm considering. Appreciate your insights. Look forward to connecting very soon in person. Well, thanks, Britt. Now, I'm looking forward to connecting with you as well. And incidentally, since I'm answering your question here, rather than sending you a book, I'll bring one with me and give you an autographed copy of one of my new books right there on the spot. So looking forward to that. Now, in regard to your question, how do you know you're on the right path? When you've been doing one thing for quite a long time and you now you're considering doing something else, go back to always start by looking inward first. One of the key principles in 48 Days to the Work You Love is that 85% of the process of having a confidence of proper direction comes from looking inward. We too quickly look to outward for solutions or what somebody else is doing. No, look inward. The more you know yourself, the more confidence you'll have about choosing the opportunity that fits you. Now, one of the things that I reminded me of in reading your note and a whole bunch of others this week is that... The biggest category of people, when I look at our podcast listener survey that so many of you completed, and I thank, thank you for that, the biggest category of people were people who are full-time employees, but dreaming of doing more. So when you're in a transition point like this, I would also encourage you to look at the broad scope of possibilities, not just at who else will hire me guarantee me a paycheck, and give me 40 hours of work a week. That's a very, very limited model in today's environment where we have so many models that are out there. So just this is a good time. I mean, it doesn't mean you need to be an entrepreneur, start your own business, not at all. But just look at the broad scope of possibilities. I mean, a lot of people like you when you describe that you've been in this position, a highly regarded management consulting role. Wow. That opens the door for you to be in that highly regarded management consulting role for three companies. I'm working with a gentleman right now who has done that. And in doing that, being a management consultant for multiple companies, he's tripled his income because each of those is paying him as much as his previous full-time job paid him. And that's that's the way it happens when you go into consulting. Is If, if a company is paying you, you know, there's got to be some restrictions on what they're paying you. But if they pay you just for the one skill that you have most highly refined, your zone of genius, they're going to pay you more relative, more per hour for that. If you're a graphic designer and you're making $40 an hour, if you are on your own and you come to that company and offer them a proposal to do graphic design, you know, they're going to pay you $120 an hour for more limited use of your time. So that's what this gentleman has done, where he's moved away. He's doing essentially the same thing he was doing in his previous full-time job, but now he's doing that 
in a more limited basis for three companies and in doing so tripled his income. Again, just, just this is a great time to look at the options, to know that you have a whole lot of possibilities out there in today's world. All right, somebody says, I've often jokingly referred to myself as a serial hobby jumper. I love learning new things and developing at least some level of proficiency at it. However, as fun as that is, I found that I have no specific passion for any one thing, unless that one thing is learning about and doing many new things on a consistent basis. Is that a skill in and of itself? Can that be a passion? Can it be monetized? That is, turned into a business? I've struggled to figure out exactly how to do that. I've considered launching a new podcast related to that affliction, the Serial Hobby Jumper Podcast. Well, something akin to Obscure Sports Weekly, if you recognize the dodgeball reference. I'd love to turn something, any one thing, into a passionate pursuit, but I haven't been in love with any one thing long enough to fiercely enough to develop clarity on how that would work. All right, a great, great question. And I want to I want to kind of open the door. I want to pull the plug at the bottom of the barrel on this right out of the gate. Don't try to monetize everything that you enjoy. I mean, I'm I'm fearful that sometimes people think that's all I recommend. As soon as you enjoy something, figure out a way to monetize it. Now I, I know that I do have that tendency. I mean, I've talked about even seeing things that my grandkids do. You know, I'm quickly thinking, wow, we could put that on Etsy. Gee, we could put that on Redbubble. Gee, we could set up at the farmer's market, you know, and do that and turn that into money. Well, sometimes, and my wife, Joanne, just wrote a beautiful, beautiful blog just this last week about why does she paint. It's not so she can turn it into money. It's for a whole lot of other reasons other than that. And I respect that. I love her for that that she's not always seeing it through the same lens as I am. So don't think that you have to monetize everything that you enjoy. I mean, I think about my my friend, Michael Hyatt. A lot of you know Michael, you know, former CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, and now, of course, in doing lots of, writing lots of books as a, a major business that does consulting for businesses, helping them grow. But Michael enjoys fly fishing. I mean, he uh, plays a variety of Indian flutes, I mean, he enjoys Labradoodles. They have a beautiful dog. Um, that uh, And he studied that whole breed, Labradoodles. Um, he plays guitar. He collects old books. Now, none of those are things that he does that are intended to make money for him. He's making money in other ways, but those are just hobbies that he enjoys. There ought to be room for some things like that. I think all of us ought to have something that we're we're doing where it is really a fulfilling hobby and not necessarily something we're going to turn into monetization. Now, I it just this last week I pulled up an article that I saw, and it's the collectors who spend thousands on rare Hot Wheels. Now, I'm a car guy. You've heard me talk about cars if you're a regular listener, but I only have a two car garage in the house where we live, and I mean I I don't have. I don't have room to have other cars sitting around like I did up in Tennessee. So it's really changed that. I feel like my hands are tied in that one area. I'm still trying to figure out what to do there. But I saw this article and I thought, wow, instead of playing with real cars, maybe I could get excited about model cars or Hot Wheels. So I've been studying that, looking at that. Not necessarily in a way that I can, you know, find something that's really rare and then resell it and make a lot of money. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. You know, it's... 
Maybe I ought to do it just for the enjoyment. And I'm looking at some other things as well that I'm looking at for just the enjoyment. Now, when it comes to old books, man, I do enjoy that. I love finding old, rare books and have some of those here. And again, I'm not looking to flip those. I just enjoy enjoy owning those things. I think your idea about being having a Serial Hobby Jumper podcast would be absolutely great. And there in that, sure, that is something. If you grow that and have significant, significant downloads, then certainly there are going to be people approaching you, as they are me, uh, about turning that those listeners you know, into uh, something where you can have sponsors and you can promote products on there. A lot of podcast hosts are doing that. So yeah, you can do that. But again, uh, approach it in a way that you really get maximum enjoyment out of it, even if it's not a direct way to generating money. Money usually shows up kind of unexpectedly on the side as a result of doing something that we really enjoy. Well, here, here's kind of another example. Somebody says, finding time and the motivation to work on a side hustle is probably my biggest thing holding me back. I also have questions about coming up with something that I have to share with the world that would generate an extra income. Okay, right again, we're right back to generating extra income. Don't approach. I had I had lunch with the, an attorney this this week, and he is not. He's he's left being an attorney. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. He would have to apply for a license in the state that he lives in. Now that being Florida, he came from another state, so he'd have to he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to do anything in law. It's kind of interesting because his description is he never enjoyed law. He just did it because he had the academic ability to do it and it gave him a paycheck. That was it. He's like, I don't want to do anything with that. That was just, you know, my old work. I want to do something that I enjoy. He's also in a position where he does need to generate income. So the only lens he has to look at this is, what can I do that'll make money for me? And I asked him, I said, you know, if we were meeting three years from now, having lunch again, what would have to happen in your life, both personally and professionally, for you to feel good about where you are? What would you be doing that you really enjoy? He says, well, I need to you know, make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. I don't want anything that really restricts my time. I don't want to travel. And I said, no, 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 don't, don't just go to the logistics. I want to know what it is you'd be doing that you'd really enjoy. And he was absolutely blank. He had no framework to think about what he would do that he would enjoy. I really felt bad for the guy. I mean, I'm going to continue to give him some ideas to kind of develop, but it's a new thought for him to think about what he would enjoy. The only lens he's ever had for spending his time is, what can I do that will make money? Well, you need to get, get beyond that. And, and sometimes things that you enjoy then do show up in ways that'll make money. I mean, I've got, um, I'm going to be selling the current car that I'm driving here and I'm going to advertise it for $6,000 more than I paid for it seven years ago. I've had a lot of enjoyment driving that car. Have my grandkids enjoy it. Um, but, uh, I'm ready for something new. And so in as much as I didn't buy it as an investment, I bought it just to enjoy it. It has in fact gone up in value. You know, I think about my friend, uh, Steve Christmas. Steve is real involved in our Eagles community. Steve, with his son, started doing balloon animation. He calls himself a balloon animation engineer. So, you know the deal. You go to a birthday party and somebody's there and they blow up balloons and make these funny hats and animals entertain the kids. Well, he came through one of the teachings that I was doing in our Eagles community uh, two years ago. 
about how to increase your income. And he said, you know, my son went off to college, but I realized I really enjoyed that little balloon thing that we were doing. I'd like to really kind of develop this a little bit more. How can I do that? So I encourage him to look at not only just doing, you know, birthday parties and little fun events like that, but looking at where the balloon animation process could be used to help a company launch a new product or have a grand opening of a store, or as it turned out, the return to campus for students at the university. And Steve developed that. Now, he was in a, a group we called, you know, a group that I encouraged how to figure out how to make your first $10,000 a month. Well, a couple months after we did that, he sent me a note and said, wow, not only did I do a $10,000 a month, I did a $10,000 a week. So here again, we had a, something that he enjoyed uh, just with his son initially, just because it was fun to do, making these balloon, animated balloons. And now he's turned that into something where he does, in fact, do grand openings, product product introductions, those kind of things. And it's very successful in doing that. You can check that out, incidentally, if you go to BigBalloonNation.com. That's Steve's site. Just go check out what he's doing, BigBalloonNation.com. Uh, somebody says, what, what are some ways that I can reassure myself that I'm on the right path? Well, that's an interesting question. You know, there ought to be a, a sense of peace. And I tell people that oftentimes, even knowing God's will is not some elusive kind of thing, and it's often not a, a logical one plus one equals two. Sometimes it comes down to just simply a sense of peace or lack thereof. So you ought to have that. You ought to be able to go to bed at night and sleep well, you know, just feel like you've, you've had a great day. I mean, Joanne and I were sitting outside on Sunday eating lunch, and we heard some people talking next to us, table next to us, and they were talking about the number of days they had until they had to go, you know, back to where they live, back to the jobs they hated, and all these things. And we were thinking, oh my gosh, how sad. You know, we're living a life where most people try to figure out how to spend two weeks a year on vacation living like we're living. Now, I didn't say that. I mean, I don't mean to, I don't mean to brag about that at all. It's just, We've been very intentional about designing and moving into a life that we enjoy. And it has been so much so that we have a hard time figuring out what to do on what we would call a vacation. Because we look at brochures, we look at all these places, and we think, well, gee, there's no place we'd rather be than right where we are. So if you are feeling that about what you're doing, then certainly I think you're on the right path. If you feel like, I need to get out of this, you know, how can I get out of this thing that I'm doing and spend a couple of weeks, you know, totally away from it? Well, then you ought to ask yourself, what is it that you're doing? What's out of alignment with what you're doing right now that you might be able to address? All right. Hey, got a couple more here I want to share with you. Love these questions. And speaking of which, yes, please keep sending those in. Love to go through those. I feel it is just a great honor to go through those questions. So you can go to 48days.com slash askdan, leave your question there. And of course, if I use it here as a live question on the podcast, send you an autographed copy of one of my most recent books. So shoot it in. Love to see it. All right. Here's one from Nancy who says, I love my new career as owner and innkeeper of Old Square Inn in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I would like to love it even more by arranging to work smarter, not harder. I want time and money to be able to spend time with my family, travel, and bless others. Well, I looked up your, your site, Nancy. I love, love, love what you've got there. 
Golly, I, I and I read through some of the material you've got there. Uh, before te- before purchasing the inn, I had a wonderful career in teaching. For 24 Septembers, I led 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade students in a variety of studies, including home ec. And then you go on to say, I've enjoyed creating a warm and inviting escape for you. You can revel in some much-needed relaxation at the inn, then take some time to go out and explore. As a longtime Lancaster County resident, I have my finger in the best things to see and do in the area. Pa- I'm passionate about guiding you and making the most of your stay. Among its many awards, Old Square Inn has been voted the number one bed and breakfast in Lancaster County. Wow, that's that's a high honor. Lancaster County is a very large county in Pennsylvania. It has a whole lot of bed and breakfast. All right, so you're back to your question. I'm, I got wrapped up in just enjoying what you have there, the beautiful Old Square Inn that you have. Well, you say you'd love it more by ar- arranging to work smarter, not harder. All right, now you're in a business that has is bricks and mortar. So there's a lot of physical kind of boundaries to what you can do. There's no question about it. So you only have so many rooms. Incidentally, your your space reminds me of Whitestone Inn that Joanna and I have enjoyed for years in um, well in eastern Tennessee, Whitestone Inn. But the, the big suite style rooms with a lot of unique decorations and all, you've done that so well there. So with that, there's a limit to how many guests you can have as an example. I mean, you can't have, you know, 30 guests come in at one night. No, because you don't have that many rooms. But you've been very creative in how you offer packages to leverage that. So it's not just a set fee for a room and you only have so many rooms. Yeah, you've got special packages for elopements. You got a $1,500 elopement package. I love that. Then you've got an intimate wedding package for $14,000. I mean, those are just creative ways that you have already started to work smarter, not harder, and increasing your income possibilities with what you have there. Now, what I would do is I would look for residual income possibilities. You know, a book from your cooking demos, uh, maybe a course about how to run a successful B&B, maybe a guide for the best B&Bs in Amish County there in Pennsylvania, where you are. Those are the kind of things, again, being residual income as compared to linear income, where you do something once and get paid for it over and over and over again. Now, you've got linear income when you rent a room. You rent it once, get paid once. But residual income, how can you take some of the knowledge that you've got, especially with a background as being a teacher, and turn it into those things where you do it once and get paid a thousand times? That's where I would encourage you to go to even uh, be working working smarter and to get some of that extra income to give you time then, time and income to spend with your kids and family that you describe. You know, it, it kind of triggered some other thinking that I'm doing right now as well. There is a hotel in Boston that was a jail. It was a massive jail. And somebody purchased it and turned it into a luxury hotel. It's absolutely gorgeous. Now, you can find that at libertyhotel.com. It, you can see that there. But I'm also in the process right now, I'm, I'm using this as, as an example. There is a jail that's for sale, and I'm using it as a brainstorming example in my mastermind. Now, I don't really anticipate buying this, although it's very, very tempting, but it's in another state. I'm not really interested in doing that, being a long-distance landlord for anything, but it's a 34 cell jail. Now this is 
It's over a 10,000 square feet building. I mean, it's got half of that is office space, and then the rest of it is these 34 cells. Each cell has a toilet and a sink. So this has, has not been used as a jail in quite some time, but it's really well positioned in this quaint little town that uh, has a lot of appeal, and it's priced at $195,000. Now, what I want to do is I want my mastermind to brainstorm how could that be refitted, refurbished, transformed, somehow made usable as a really interesting property. And I think there's so many possibilities. Hey, if you've got possibilities on that, I'd, I'd love to have you share those with me as here here as well. Just go, again, go to 48days.com slash askdan. Leave your responses there. Maybe we'll come up with something interesting. Maybe we ought to buy it. Maybe we ought to go together and buy that and turn it into something interesting. But those are the kind of things that really intrigue me. Repurpose an old property and how it could be used productively today. Okay, so here, the last question I want to deal with. Listener says, two main issues. I'm an introvert who's able to get out there and meet people, do book signings, etc., but it exhausts me emotionally and physically. I'm still trying to find the right blend of time spent doing that and time ways to recover from it, so I'm willing to do it again. And number two, I hate, yes, strong word but accurate, social media and what it has become. But I'm still new to creating, developing, running a business. And I understand I need social media as an exposure vehicle. I still need to figure out how to reconcile that dilemma and how to use it appropriately and effectively. Well, I want to assure you, you really don't have to do anything. There's too many options. You don't have to do anything. But if you are going to make an impact in the world, you will want to expand your people connections. It's kind of like if you're on a, an island, a remote island somewhere all by yourself, and you got a suitcase with a million dollars in it, you know, are you really rich? Well, if you don't have any way to engage with other people, that money is pretty meaningless. It's just paper. You've got to make connections with other people to transform the power and potential of that money into something useful. You can do that. You can do what you want to do in ways that fit you. Now, now recognize that social media allows you to connect with thousands of people who can then help spread the word about your books and your message. And here's the cool thing about social media. You can do that from the comfort and solitude of your own home. Now contrast that with having to get in your car, drive to some other city, you go to a, a little not well-known bookstore, and then you deal with not knowing if anyone will walk in the door or if some weirdo is going to walk in the door, come and sit down with you for 45 minutes and remind you that your time could have been used better by making smarter decisions about how to share your message. I mean, just, just think about that. If you hate doing book signings, you don't have to do book signings as an author. I mean, I haven't done book signings for years and years and years in that traditional way. Or I show up at a bookstore. I mean, the last book I came out with, the publisher said, now we'll, we'll set up for you to do 30 book signings in bookstores. And I said, well, I hope you have a good time there. I won't be there, but I hope you have a nice time. And they were aghast. They're like, what do you mean you won't be there? I said, you know, those things don't work. Those aren't effective in today's environment. I'm not going to do that. And they're like, wow, we know that. But every author expects that. And I said, well, not me. 
I'm not going to waste my time going to do that. Now that's topic for another day, but I don't do that as an author because there's, I mean, think about the power of this. If I get on a podcast, if I get on with John Lee Dumas and talk about my newest book, we have thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that are going to hear that. If I am on with my son, Kevin, with his podcast, Self Helpful, which I'm on there frequently, he has, well, last month, well, let's see, we're in March now, in July, in January, he had 650,000 downloads of his podcast. He has a method in place where he thinks he can be at a million downloads a month in just a few months. A million downloads a month. How do you compare that to doing a book signing? It is black and white. It's night and day. It's so different. Which would I rather do? I'm not going to go and hang out at a bookstore and hope three or four people come by. Or I mean, if it's really successful and you sell 15 books. I mean, I've heard of people like, um, geez, like Al Gore, you know, showing up for a a bookstore signing and, and selling 20 books. I and mean, it's just, you don't have the leverage. Whereas if I jump on a podcast with my son and we talk to hundreds of thousands of people, do you think maybe 50 or 100 people may take action and jump on it? Absolutely. So be careful about just dismissing social media as just one thing you're going to just throw out. If you're a podcast guest, you can have thousands of people. It's very one directional. You don't have to engage. You don't have to, you're just talking. It's very one directional. You can host your own podcast. I mean, even better if you're an introvert, because you can just share your message and lots of people are going to hear that. So there's, those are social media as well, but those are very innovative uses that can fit you well. Now I mentioned at the outset here, we had a quotation today from Susan Cain, her book, Quiet. Please get that and read that. I mean, quiet. The the subtitle of that book is The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. Now, personally, I schedule all my meetings at the beginning of the week. So my week gets quieter and quieter toward the end. And to me, it gets sweeter and sweeter as I move in that direction. So that by the time I get to Thursday and Friday, I mean, Wednesday, what I'm doing right now, this is the last scheduled thing that I have on my, on my schedule during the week. This is it. Wednesday morning when I record the podcast. And then it goes into those Wednesday afternoon, Thursday, Friday, and of course Saturday, Sunday, being quiet times. So you can you can schedule what you need to do to connect with other people. Now again, I, I, wow, I wish I could share the entirety of what I'm going to be sharing at these events that we're going to have in Texas and Tennessee and down here in Florida, because I'm going to focus on this, the the three critical keys for increasing your influence, making more money, and having friends for life. I'm going to go through how to have 48 meaningful friends, 48 meaningful bagels, and 48 meaningful experiences. And you can be an introvert and do those with ease and joy, and it'll explode your success. You do have to be connected with people, but you don't have to change who you are and how you relate to others at all. doesn't have to be done like that. You can do this. Well, 
and we're going to wrap with that. If you got questions, want to get them in the queue for upcoming episodes here, just go to 48days.com slash askdan. Love to have you submit those. And if you want to check out our events coming up where we can meet in person and you can hear me go through those three ways to increase your influence, increase your income, impact, all those wonderful things, just go to 48dayseagles.com slash experience. I'd love to see you at one of those. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions. Thanks for being open to growing, for being a powerful force, for making the world a better place. I'd love for you to share this episode with a couple of your friends. People who are also committed to personal growth, like Britton, who said he's bringing a friend with him to Keller, Texas. Do that. Be that kind of person. They'll thank you for it. Become known for your positivity, for being someone who offers hope and encouragement to others. Be that kind of person. And stay committed to your belief that we can, without any shadow of a doubt, find or create work and a life that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.